This week is another look back at a favourite episode with Charlotte Lawson Johnston of Cloth Collective. Trained at the New York School of Interior Design, she's on a mission to educate consumers on non-toxic fabrics and using sustainable fibres. On Christmas Day, lo and behold, this truck turns up. I said, what's this? And, and my eldest daughter started laughing and out the back of this truck comes a cow. And I was like, you've got to be joking. Hello, I'm Carol Annett from Country and Townhouse magazine. Welcome to the House Guest podcast, where I chat with experts from the world of interior design and decoration, the people behind the houses, hotels, shops and brands you see in glossy magazines like ours. If you listen on the Entail app, there's more information and images on the projects and people mentioned. And if you're doing up your own home, hopefully you'll pick up some tips for yourself. Charlotte Lawson Johnston's Cloth Collective is a fabric studio creating naturally hand-dyed, climate-positive textiles using British growers, weavers and dyers. Charlotte and I chatted recently over Zoom. Please excuse a few barking dogs and the odd email pinging through. So tell me about Cloth Collection and how it all started, because I I sort of found you through a friend who suggested that I had a look on Instagram and it it was just instantly compelling. And, you know, you've got some great followers in there, Sarah from Balaneum and, you know, people who I admire in the industry. And that obviously kind of makes it more interesting for me. So tell me all about it. Thank you, Carol. Well, I don't know if you and I remember, we met at Selverson Graham in their showroom um, in South Oh gosh, London. you're going to embarrass me now. How long ago was that? <laughs> a long time ago. It was 2015. Um, and I launched a really small fabric collection under the name CLJ Home. And it was, well, it is um, cane print and a collection of uh, planes. So I launched that back then. And I still have that business and I'm still actively selling the fabric. But I suppose about three, four years ago, every time I was in the factory printing an order, the smell really started to bother me. And I was getting these terrible headaches. And I just thought, it doesn't sit well with me. There's something here that I don't like. And I, I am sort of quite sensitive when it comes to food and things like that. So I um, thought, I'm just going to go away and do some research into dyes and fabrics and what, you know how I can just print in a more, maybe there's a way I can print in a more sustainable way and um, in a way that has less of a, a sort of negative impact on the environment or on our health, on our well-being. Um, and I noticed in the factory as well, they, you know, they use a lot of water to clean the screens um, and that I really didn't, didn't like that either. And I just thought, you know, I'm not some huge um, fabric designer, I'm tiny. So um, it, maybe I should exit at this point and, and find a way to um, print in a, just in a, in a more positive way that's less impactful. So um, I actually asked one of the guys at the factory, or oh, do you know anybody who prints with natural dyes, you know, on a, on a large scale? And he said, oh, not you as well. <laughs> um, he's, I keep getting asked this question. So I thought, oh, okay, maybe there's something in this. Maybe, you know, there's a bit of a movement here and people are wanting to print in a different way, but it's just not readily available in our factories here in the UK. So I contacted this amazing woman who you may have, may have heard of. She's called Sarah Burns. 
um, and she prints with uh, natural dyes and she harnesses all of her colours from botanicals and a little bit from food as well. So I went and did a two-day workshop with her one-on-one and I completely fell in love with the process. She lives um, in Sussex, so we went foraging on the South Downs. Oh, lovely. um, collected all of our dye stuff and then boiled it up in pots and made these extraordinary colours. And I just couldn't believe, I couldn't believe the array of colours you could get from one dye pot because I don't know if you know much about natural dyeing, but what no, you do is you all. can, um, yeah, I could rub it on now for hours, but you, with <laughs> one dye pot, you can get um, a huge, um, a huge number of colours just by changing the pH of the dye. So you, after the dye pot, once you've put in a, let's say a swatch of linen, um, you then can dip it in either a, an alkali solution or an acidic solution, and it changes the colour completely. So you can imagine out of one dye pot, you can get an extraordinary array of hues. And then depending on what fabric you're using, that also changes the colour. So the colour will come out differently whether you're using hemp or linen um, or silk. So I'm just fascinated by, um, I really love that, uh, those two days with her. And um, I came home and decided, no, I'm not, I'm not going to carry on dyeing and printing in the way that I am. And I'm just going, you know, if I, if I get an order now, I process it for CLJ Home and I, you know, I, that business is now actually funding cloth so without it oh, I wouldn't nice. be able to yeah. do what I'm doing so it's yeah. it's feeding into it in a really nice way and at some point I will wind it down but um it's a really brilliant way of of being able to afford the research that I'm doing now into natural dyes and how I can potentially scale the business um and I suppose really my mission is to firstly educate Um, our consumers in the interiors industry and help people to understand and open their eyes to the fact that there are other fabrics out there you can buy that are not only non-toxic and much better for your well-being in terms of your home and your interiors so a bit like we're now using non-toxic cleaning products and they're becoming very much mainstream now yeah so educating the consumer on that and then also Um, you know, why pick a textile for your home that has had a negative impact on the environment when you can choose a sustainable fibre, such as hemp or such as non-bleached linen? Um, There's all sorts out there. Yeah. And tell me, what's your background then? Are you textiles or or interior designer? I studied at New York School of Interior Design. Um, so very much trained as an interior designer. And then I worked for Joanna Wood and Rabbi Haj, then I did some interior styling and then had a baby. <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> and what, um, what did you all, have? What did you have? She's now 13. We had a little girl in 2007 and then a second in 2015. So CLJ Home was very much me wanting to tick the creativity box and just missing so much yeah. um, that creative outlet. Um, and I think I've, been enjoying cloth collectives so much more because it really has 
a mission at the heart of it and it's not just business for business sake it's you know I really want to affect change in so many ways both with the environment and with our communities here in the UK so it's just been such a different journey and I suppose a reflection of where I'm at um, in my life and I suppose also again going back to having children I love this idea of producing something that that is you know clean and non-toxic for the home so I think that's been quite compelling as well yeah and what's your connection with South America so we were really really struggling to have another child we waited eight and a half years for our our second and we were living in London and you know it was sort of groundhog day same routine every day and I just thought I really want to break this cycle and go and do something completely different and take a year out really and so we decided on Argentina and went and lived down there for a year Um, and really had an amazing time. I mean, Buenos Aires is a kind of place that people tend to go to for three or four days and they have this very romantic um, memory of it. But for us living there, it's actually quite, it is quite a hard place to live, both from a safety perspective and just, you know, you can't, really get your hands on anything you need it's a beautiful city but um it has its challenges and so did you have you had i was going to say so how old was your your first daughter when you went she was six and we put her in a school uh, an argentine school so she knew no spanish she had to just but it was a really amazing time and then a lot of the argentines go to a bit like the english go to cornwall they go to uruguay for their sort of beach holidays and so we um we tried it one day and we completely fell in love is that Punta? was that Punta del Este and around there so a little bit exactly a bit further up there's a place called Jose Ignacio which is um an old fisherman's town and that's been sort of developed but in a really sensitive way over the last 20 years and so we started going there and then I have this we have this very old girlfriend who lives inland from the beach about 30 minutes inland and she said oh you must come and see me and see my house and um so we went to visit her and she had this plot of land that she wanted to sell and I grew up in South Africa and I just took one look at this and went I just I'm so jealous (laughs) and it's such an unspoiled country it's actually it's I describe it as sort of England on crack it is (laughs) So unspoilt and underpopulated. I mean, there are more sheep than people. And um, I really, we fell in love with it. And we don't own a house in England. We rent. So we thought, you know, sod it. Let's just do this, this. Let's just do it. Let's be adventurous and create something beautiful and crazy for the holidays. And so that's what we've done. I mean, we really didn't think it through, you know, the cost of getting there each time and all of that. But it's... <laughs> The best thing, the both. best ideas are never thought through properly. Otherwise, you'd never do them. Well, so you exactly. now have a house in Uruguay. We have this beautiful house. I'll, I'll send you some pictures, Carol. Oh. It's, it's really quite special. So we built something very traditional in the sort of that South American Estancia style. Um, yeah. And it's um, whitewashed with green shutters with the most exceptional views. And we really love it. And I feel like it's given our girls just a bigger perspective on the world, really. Yeah. You know, they've got a different culture there, different food, another language. And yeah. um, it's yeah. a place to just go and escape as a family and be together without the distraction of screens and, you know, just all the 
the rubbish we have here and this huge hemp industry which is so funny that <laughs> now I'm doing what I'm doing and they 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 are growing hemp there and not only processing it for oils and seeds but for fabric wow um, so yeah. it, I've I've loved witnessing that and watching that industry grow down there and and it's something I would absolutely love to see happen here in in the UK because we have the perfect climate for hemp and we used oh, to do we? yeah we used to we used to have a huge hemp industry here um, and then the industrial revolution happened and cotton came over from America and it was cheaper and so people stopped buying hemp we used hemp for all of our shipping for our sails and for the ropes and then we had motorboats, so there wasn't such a demand for hemp anymore. What areas of the country were known as for growing hemp? Do you know? So Yorkshire, up there, so north of the country. And we also have the perfect climate to grow flax for linen as well. But the problem is it's just such a complicated process that I think it, it's also an expensive process, which means yeah. that if we don't increase demand from our consumers and create a huge demand then there's no value in and no reason for farmers to do it on a mass scale yet. It's a very expensive process to ret, to rot, all of the processes that the flax goes through. And so then it would end up ultimately being a very expensive piece of cloth per metre. So it all comes down to, like everything, drive demand for sustainable products. So so let's wind on um, five years. Where will you be living and what do you hope to have achieved by then? Oh, that's a really good question. I I was asked that last week by my parents on my 50th birthday. (laughs) What would you like to achieve in the next five years? The ultimate mission for Cloth Collective is to see hemp and linen grown in the UK and processed for cloth. That's a real mountain to climb. But that is the overall mission. And I suppose also building on the collective of printers and dyers so the the one of the challenges I faced with natural dyeing and printing is that it's essentially a cottage industry and it is such a time-consuming process that it's a very very difficult one to scale so the only way I've worked out to scale it is to build on the collective of people here in in Britain that do this um, for their own small businesses you know a lot of them sell on Etsy and For a lot of them, it's kind of their hobby um, as well. And so I've tried to build a collective of people that are natural dyeing and printing and creating collections with them to scale cloth and to be able to not only impact their businesses and support them, um, but also to to grow cloth, to be able to fund the research into growing sustainable fibres here. Well, it's a it's a fascinating story, and I absolutely wish you all the best. But also, just just tell me about Leche the cow. Where's is he in Oxfordshire or is he in Uruguay? <laughs> He's in Uruguay. So like, last year when we were there, they they sell in the shops there. They sell UHT um, milk in the box, and that's very normal, and that's what everybody drinks. And we're so spoiled here, aren't we, with our dairy farmers and our incredible organic milk that we can buy? And I just couldn't stomach the UHT milk. So I sort of said as a joke to my husband, oh, I'd really love to have real milk here and have a cow and be able to milk it. And I think in my head, I had visions of me sort of dressed as Heidi in a white glowy <laughs> dress or plait. Um, and so on Christmas Day, lo and behold, this truck turns up 
And I said, what's this? And, and my eldest daughter started laughing and out the back of this truck comes a cow. And I was like, you've got to be joking. I love um, that. And I grew up and went to school in Jersey. So I think again, in my head, I thought, oh, this is going to be this prettiest little cow and I'm going to give it the sweetest name. Well, out came the most enormous, <laughs> terrifying looking, old haggard cow anyway I then thought great let's get milking so the following morning our gaucho sort of you know cowboy guy who runs the place he said well if you want to milk the cow I milk the cow at 4 45 every day I thought you've got to be kidding and he said yeah you know in order to have time to do everything else and for the calf to then have her milk we need to get going at 4 45 I thought you've got to be kidding this is the worst idea I've ever had <laughs> So there I was at 4.45, bleary-eyed on holiday. Why am I getting up so early? And you know, you see it in films, don't you? I thought, it can't be that hard. Well, it turns out I'm crap at milking a cow. And um, there's a particular technique without going into details. And I was terrible at it. Anyway, I practiced a lot. I think I did it every three days um, for a month and finally got the hang of it. But now we have this amazing milk. So we milk the cow, get four litres out of her every morning leave the other four liters for the calf boil it up and we would have that on our cereal and for our coffees and um it was uh, delicious so how much of your time do you spend in a normal year over there um not enough we only finished the house last christmas and this christmas we went for three weeks and then because of the pandemic everyone said don't come home don't come home schools aren't going back you might as well stay so we stayed this time for um, eight weeks, which was just such a blessing. And oh, yeah, we just felt so spoiled not to be back here at home. But having said that, you know, I think when you've got teenagers, it's great for a period of time and then they need their friends, don't they? And they, yeah. they need interaction with others. So yeah. it's a very special place to be. And in answer to your question, I wish we could spend more, there, more time there, but maybe one day. Yeah. Um, and I'd love to try and establish cloth down there as well um, with sort of Uruguayan textile artists and see what we can do down there. Uh, well, it all sounds very exciting. Well, thank you so much for your support. You're, you're amazing and I really appreciate it. And, and so kind of you to give your time to me today. So thank you Pleasure. very much. Pleasure. Thank you for joining me. If you'd like to have more Interiors Inspiration, take a look at countryandtownhouse.co.uk where you can also sign up to our monthly online Interiors newsletter. And if you're flying anywhere soon, you can also listen on British Airways in-flight entertainment.